Greetings, reader fans. Welcome to episode 13 of Data Slate, Lave Radio's book review show. I'm your host, Station Commander Alan Stroud, and along with my co-host, John Richardson, we'll be talking about all the latest happenings in science fiction and fantasy before bringing you our reading recommendations. This week, we avoid Black Cats, the Scottish play, and anything else that might throw our podcast a curve. It's been a month since we last did this. We miss you. <laughs> so there's plenty of stuff to talk about. What have we got to tell them, John? Well, we've got the Hodescape open submissions, which I noticed about three or four weeks ago it appeared. It's a, a writing competition, which I'm thinking of taking part in, or at least has spurred me on to start writing, actually. And you'll probably laugh at me. I only chuckled in the tiny way. So it's good, I guess. I mean, it's uh, you've got to basically put three chapters in. It's got to be sci-fi, fantasy, horror type. Mm-hmm. And then you've also got to put a full synopsis of two or three pages in as well. And the closing date on that is the 16th of August. So I guess what you'd have to do then is start hurrying up and finishing it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things where if you've got a bit of time, then maybe you make your fingers bleed by writing in a month to try and get the thing together. I mean, if you're a NaNoWriMo veteran, then, you know, it's, it's kind of about the same kind of time right now. It's been going a little while, apparently. It was posted on March 9th. Okay. I only heard about it in the last few weeks yeah. and immediately alerted you, immediately alerted a couple of other people. And I actually, I know Anne Perry. I can't say I know her well. Hi, Anne. She, she won't be listening. But, um, <laughs> you never know. Um, I met her at um, Fantasy in the Court last year, which was uh, a little gathering of writers. There were a few of the, you know, the sort of different publishers were represented and Anne was there. And I'd also seen her do a talk at Nine Worlds last year very approachable and very knowledgeable so i guess the idea is going to be similar to tor's idea but i think the difference is that this one is quite a broad set of categories as it were you know and it seems a little bit wider in terms of what they're after yeah but you know it's quite a traditional submission three chapters and and a synopsis is quite a traditional submission you'd be writing about nine thousand words probably yeah so that's something that spurred me on a little bit and of course we've had a bit of a pause for um Lavecon. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll come to Lavecon in yeah. a minute. So with Hot Escape, yeah, I've got something lined up. I've got a little bit of time to improve it, which is good, which is what I did with Tor, really. I had something in my back pocket and just did a bit of editing Yeah, uh, sent it in. But with Tor's one, they were after novellas of around thirty to 40,000 words here. You know, they want a full novel, but they want the first three chapters. So that should be too bad. I've got about 4,000 words, which are okay. I'll probably knock something together and try and get it in for the date. Excellent. What sort of thing are you thinking about writing? Oh, do I have to give it away? No. I'm going to tell you it all now. You do know that, don't you? It's a secret, but it takes place on a um, tidally locked world. Okay, yeah. All right, nice. So, And it's a bit of a mystery that's going okay. on in there as well. So a mystery cool. horror. Mystery horror sci-fi crossover. <laughs> and any more any more genres you want to i don't know i might just throw a couple more in you know <laughs> with a cowboy that, that might work so hot escape certainly very interesting well worth taking a look at if you're an aspiring writer and again with what we've talked about in previous casts here this is an open submission so you don't need an agent you have to bear in mind they're going to get a lot of submissions so you've got to make sure that you're prepared to be in the queue and I don't know if you notice, and I'd use this as a bit of a, a bearing on the stuff with Tor. 
it says in the blurb, beginning at 12 a.m. on the dot GMT of 3rd of August 2015, we will be accepting. And then it closes on the 16th. So actually, you'll find probably you're higher up the queue the earlier you submit. Right. Which is no bad plan. Because if we are, and if you remember a few weeks ago, I said we check in on where I'd got to with Tor. Yes. You want to know where I'm in the queue? Go on then. I'm now at 47. If you remember when I put it in, I put it in on May 25th. Okay. When I put it in, I was at 89. So. Oh, well, that's not too bad. And that's that's a fairly reasonable piece of progress they're making there, isn't it? Oh, they're, they're certainly, yeah, they're certainly knocking through them. Yep. I mean, that suggests that, so between two of them, they've read, because there's two people doing yeah. the submission. So they've read 21 of them each, which is, you know, it's about two a day. It's good going. It's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. I, I would guess that a few of them, you probably get to a couple of thousand words and go, nah. nah. Yeah. So, yeah, so the response time is going up. It started off at something like 12 days. It's now at 31. But, you know, it's it's a lot higher than that. So, so anyway, yeah, that's Hot Escape. Good. We've then got Apex. Now, this is interesting because we've talked a bit in the past about hierarchies of publishers. So you've got your big, big publishers. And Hot Escape, if you don't know Hot Escape, they're an imprint of Harper, of the Harper group. So Harper Collins and... With Apex, Apex are a small independent press. When you look at small independent presses, you look at the kind of things that they've got behind them. So I see a few writers in there. Things like Lady Titter uh, is a writer for Apex. And also the Apex magazine was nominated for the Hugo last year as best science fiction magazine. So they are quite an aspiring publisher. And... Their last major book we've covered on the show, which was War Stories. That was the big yes, I remember science that. fiction yep. anthology. So yes, they're a good little independent publisher. And they're open until the 31st of July. They're looking for novellas of 30,000 to 40,000, so similar to Tor, and novels up to 120,000. Now, it's the entire manuscript and covering letter they're asking for. So if you haven't got 120,000 words or, you know, 90,000 words or, you know, whatever the category is that you're going to go for, if you haven't got it ready... <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> yeah, you ain't, you ain't going to do it in time. So you're probably going to need something that's kind of almost polished, as it were, you know, that you can just dust up in the next couple of weeks and go, I'm yep. sure you've got something like that in your back pocket. I'm, I'm struggling now. My, my cupboard's getting pretty bare. <laughs> What I could do is if I finish The Death of Gods in the next two weeks, I could chuck that in. But I can't. Unfortunately, that needs to come out around the same time as the game. So mm. if I went with a, a publisher who need, you know, needs a bit more time, I, you know, I can't wait that long. With Tor, they've got a specific urban fantasy of mine. If I chuck the other fantasy piece I've got to Hot Escape, then that's that gone. There is the fourth Wissamere book, but I wouldn't put that to somebody without them taking the other three. So that's probably not going to work. So yeah, so the cupboard's a bit bare. So <laughs> so I might have to give Apex a miss, unfortunately, unless I can put together a, a novella in the time, which I, you know, I might be able to. There's one or two things I've got that might fit the category, but I, I am scraping the barrel a little bit at the moment. <laughs> but, but then again, you know, how great is it that we've got three publishers two major publishers one up and coming and quite you, you know, know what quite well guarded yeah i mean it's it actually amazed me really because 
you know, I, I, I wasn't really aware of all this stuff, and you've, you've kind of made me aware of all this. And it's absolutely fantastic. The opportunities that are out there are just incredible. Yeah, you, you just got need to go, know where to go, yeah. haven't you, really? Yeah. I think so. And, and Apex certainly are very clear in terms of their royalties and everything else. It's all absolutely there, right in front of you. You know what you're getting straight out of the box yeah which and and i've dealt with i dealt with leslie before in that i've advertised in uh, in apex magazine before she's very nice so so yeah cool all right so then we come to the the kind of meat and drink of our news so we john and i kind of helped run a little tiny convention last weekend didn't we john well i was in a little room <laughs> I think you guys did all the running, but I, I was in a little room all weekend, yeah. So. Yeah, we locked you in a broom cupboard, didn't we, really? With a load of computers. Let that me must out! Have, that must have got hot in there at times. It did, yeah. Off came the jumpsuit. On went replacement clothing, of course. <laughs> so, for those that don't know, and that's everybody, because uh, unless you're a LaveCon attendee, John spent the weekend running Artemis in one of the rooms at LaveCon. This is the Starship Bridge Simulator where you get to play crew roles as part of commanding the Artemis Starship. And, well, you know, John was entirely sure what he was bringing down. Yes. But, we, you know, there were a lot of sort of not sure about how it was going to how it was going to go, how people would like it, whether they would, whether they wouldn't. I had every confidence, of course. Oh, okay. <laughs> and... So you rocked up, you set everything up on Friday night. I took a look and went, wow, this is amazing. It needs one tiny thing. <laughs> yes. And lent you a couple of lasers. And then everyone came in on Saturday morning. And I don't think you stopped, no. did you? You could have had a turnstile outside. Yeah, it was uh, fully booked. It was literally on the hour, every hour, some fresh-faced crew members walked through the door and went out seasoned veterans at the end. <laughs> I count myself very fortunate to being able to get in there I think on almost the last session yeah. and we have we've put up a couple of the sessions we've managed to record them yeah. we've put them up on the internet they'll be linked off of the Lave Radio website yeah. but it was such fun it was such fun and so immersive you know you really did feel like you were the starship captain or the engineer or the you know incredibly good game a really good game to play with friends at a convention. It has a real sort of identity of its own, doesn't it? It does. Now, what I saw there was there were some groups that are clearly of, of people who knew each other. That was kind of obvious. But there were also a couple of times where we had total strangers sitting down mm. round the bridge and working together, and it was absolutely superb. And to see them sort of beam beams on the faces you know as i sort of completed it it was really heartwarming it was good to see i'm really pleased people enjoyed it yeah no i th i thought it was absolutely fantastic and you know the light and sound experience and everything else it just utterly made it we just have to um, do more won't we i guess we shall <laughs> so artemis coming to a planet near you at some point whenever we can recover yeah. um i mean you know it was stunning yeah it was good livecon itself was brilliant by the way, I didn't get to see much of it. <laughs> but to see, I think it was, what, two, 300 people there or something? Mm. And essentially, all those people just gathering together, you know, and playing board games in the bar area and, and on the LAN area as well, because I had mm -hmm. a peek through the door there. And what else did I see? The Oculus Rift stuff. Saw mm -hmm. that. And 
hung around the registration desk for a bit, which was also awesome in its own right because there was a chap there with Oculus gear and James, who was helping me with the Artemis stuff, uh, he went and bought one, like, oh, immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. We've evolved it over three years. LaveCon is, you know, that was the third LaveCon. And it's an interesting thing in that we do try to do a lot of different things. And you throw a lot of stuff at the wall and some things stick. You try things and see if the crowd like it. And this year, Artemis was just this utter rampant success. Mm. And sometimes things don't, you know, sometimes yeah. you try a game and people go, oh, no, not really, not my thing. And that's perfectly fine. So this year we had that. We had Julian Gollop and Chaos Reborn and the other stuff from that, which was a lovely presentation and lovely to sort of talk about the fiction we were doing. with. We had some really interesting panels this year, which we'd not done before, where we had women in gaming and women in games, you know, how women feel as gamers and and sort of, you know, their role in gaming culture. We had things on making games. We had board games being playtested for the first time. All sorts of stuff. And it was, you know, a real real sort of hodgepodge of things, but really relaxing, friendly, and social. Yeah. And, you know, lovely hotel, lovely venue, lots of lovely rooms to go and do stuff, a bar to go and chill out and relax in. Really, really pleasant. And so roll on next year. I mean, you know... I think Karen and I are more than happy to run it. We'll certainly see if the finances are permitting. That's the only proviso. But yeah, you know, really enjoyed it. And a nice charity raffle too. And I don't know if you caught Frontier, being generous as they are, have awarded Lavecon its very own decal and skin for their ships. Yes, I heard that, but I heard that right at the very end. And But luckily I did hear it. So I'll sign well, you up know, for you, it. Well, you know, you know... Yeah, good. I'm glad. So it's any LaveCon attendees. So one of the Lave Radio team was picking up all the cards and stuff today. Hopefully you got your name on the list. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know if you've seen the decals. Have you seen them? Well, I've seen the one that we're using for LaveCon, so I'm assuming it's the same as that, is it? It is, yes, yes which is also the same as my book cover. <laughs> it's all, it all ties in. <laughs> yeah. It's the symbol of the Phoenix Brigade. The Phoenix Brigade being the revolutionaries who take on the Lavian fleet at the end of Lave Revolution. And they decide to try and launch a coup in the system and to disrupt what's going on, you know, and, uh, and what have you. Their symbol, their, their binding sort of uh, symbol, and it's also the symbol that gets sprayed on walls as a symbol of rebellion on the planet, is this flaming Lavian phoenix, which is designed from the frontier symbol the robot griffin but it's obviously it's been sort of changed and set on fire <laughs> <laughs> which uh which yeah you know so I, I thought i thought you know at the time i thought it was a nice touch and i gave it to frontier a year ago actually brilliantly they have managed to put it together and i think the credit for that has to go to, to jart kruger who is one of the frontier staff guys who basically took time on the side effectively you know he didn't he didn't do it as part of his his day job his working hours he said to the team yeah i'm happy to to put this together do it on my own time and you know he put that together for lavecon so all the lavecon attendees get that on their ship massive massive shout out to to jart utterly brilliant that you've done that and thank you so much so um yeah, I think that there will be a substantial personal thank you going to, to Jart as well from myself. I'll be making sure that gets delivered to Frontier HQ 
at some point in the very near future. Oh, that's lovely. Well done, Jart. Yeah, it's it's just lovely to see that that kind of generosity of spirit, which we associate, you know, we obviously the community's got it because we, we you know, we're all part of a Kickstarter that, you know, launched a game that, you know, hasn't been around for, for 30 years. It's lovely to see that that generosity is there amidst the, you know, the developers too. And and you do get that sense when you get to meet them. So LaveCon is, is always a nice place to meet the guys who are actually doing the programming and see just how passionate they are about it too. Then we had a data slate panel and this was where you got to meet Tim C. Taylor. It was, yes. So basically he also wandered into the bridge as well. And ah. yes, so uh, he had a look in there and uh, it was quite nice. Had a quick chat with him and uh, it was a pleasure meeting them really. So yeah, it was really nice to put a name to a face, I think. And uh, yeah. he's our biggest fan. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. I did sound him out on that on uh, on the data slate panel. He sat with Ian Waits and with yep. Donna Scott. Donna being from the British Science Fiction Association, as she's the chair, and Ian of New Compress, who also wrote Pelkin's Comet, which we've also reviewed on the show. And we did a little panel on wider science fiction and the relevance of science fiction just to kind of give the sort of the message that data slate really tries to to bring to elite dangerous which is that there's other stuff out there and that actually it's quite good yep. and it might be a bit like what you're already reading you know so so yeah and it was lovely to do that and then afterwards tim gave a reading from his human legion series which we'll review on the show at some point as soon as i have a <laughs> since i have a gap in my schedule mm-hmm. then the human legion series is going to go on my uh, my list to review and Ian read from Pelquin's Comet. I read a little bit from The Death of Gods. And Michael Brooks read from Elite Legacy, which is the official Elite Dangerous book that was produced by him and by Frontier. So, yeah. Nice little extra reading session. Good. I'm really pleased. Shame I missed it, but I was busy. <laughs> yeah, you were busy fighting aliens. I was, yeah. It takes uh, precedence, always. you see. Yeah, that alien invasion threat takes precedence from listening to it. There was, a good there was a few people, actually, who did uh, come up to us and say, you know, oh, I recognise your voice from Data Slate. So, and there's one in particular, and I can't remember his name, and I do apologise, but he was a really friendly chap, and uh, we shared a couple of beers, and uh, it was just really nice to meet people who would listen to this show. I know that David Allen was there. Mm-hmm. David Allen, one of our listeners. A uh, big shout-out to David, yeah. who... Who inquired if you remember from the beginning of the the show or the first couple of episodes? He asked about the the theme tune music. Yes, and you wanted it. And a couple yeah. of weeks, a couple of weeks later, I then finished the theme tune music and said, "Here you go." And then he turned up at LaveCon and said, "Oh, it was great. You know, it was great to see these people, and it was great to you know that you you responded and you know and finished the theme tune off." So um, so yes, that was nice. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So uh, so all round, I think we've had a rousing weekend. We have. Yeah, we? it's been fantastic. Back to our real lives has been a been possibly a bit of a bump. Yeah, just a bit uh, of a one. <laughs> well, I will say that just in addition, the couple of things that I've been doing, we've featured on the previous episode, we featured Writer's Reign and the short story competitions. So I've just dropped in a story to Dystopian Stories competition at Almond Press. And then tomorrow, I'm off down to London to, and this is a bit of a shout out to the SF Foundation folks, uh, Anthony Keane, who runs the masterclasses, which are at the Royal Observatory. So every year for academics or, or students of writing, they run a three-day masterclass in the library in the Royal Observatory near Greenwich, where, where you can go. And 
you get to sit with internationally renowned writers and critics and discuss writing. So we've had a reading list over the last few weeks, which I've been desperately trying to get through along with everything else. And we're going to sit and, and chat writing. And I, I did last year because I was the first alternate or substitute last year and somebody dropped out. So I was able to, with about two days notice, they said, yes, you can come. So I then, usually you don't go twice, but I said to Anthony, can I come again this year? Because I'd like to be able to do the reading. It was a bit tough last year. And he said, yeah, yeah, sure. So um, so I'm going again, which is great. So that's Friday to Sunday. So I'm uh, I'm going to be at that. It may impact on my editing time, John. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. We'll go to an advert break and we'll come back with your book choice. Greetings, Commanders! Ambassador Crash here, and you're listening to Lave Radio, the hottest show this side of Dizzo. Join us live every Tuesday at 8.30pm BST for the latest news on Elite Dangerous and the fantastic community behind it. You can also chat to me live every Friday at 8pm BST on the official community Twitch stream, Crash Landing. Lave Radio, crash tested and approved since the year 3200. You've flown ships at max speed. You've felt the power of the 30 megawatt mining laser. You've experienced the efficiency of the MB4 mining machine. Wow. But it leaves every hardcore miner with just one question. Why can't I get a shave that's that fast, close and efficient? Introducing the Saracen MB5 shaving drone. It's so smooth. Combining the power of a mining laser with the convenience of a drone. It's like every hair is targeted by a fighter and destroyed. Saracen's patented shaving drone attaches to your face at the start of the day. Leave it to do its work, and when you come back to check, your face is shaved. He's so smooth. It's like I'm mining my face. The Saracen MB5 shaving drone. Now I feel manly. Saracen shaving. Making shaving an unnecessary adventure. Okay, and we're back. John. Hello. You've been away on the Artemis Bridge for the best part of three or four weeks. <laughs> three or four weeks. How what did take me home? What have you been able to read in all that time? I've read one book. <laughs> you must have been at battle stations for. Oh, you know how it was. It was just so busy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yes, I read The Lost Starship, which is Lost Starship series book one. And it's by Vaughn Hepner. So, okay. Now then, this is a part of my quest to find a spaceship type book, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. this is it. This is it. They've had spaceships in it. It's all about a lost spaceship and the quest to actually get to it. So without giving too much away, it's about a bunch of misfits banding together. I'm waiting for you to say something. (laughs) (laughs) On a mission to retrieve an alien spacecraft that actively defends itself using unknown technologies. So once they learn how to use it, they need to pilot it back to save Earth from invasion by a superhuman race of beings. And throughout all of this, being chased by the enemy. Sounds pretty sort of 
high concept, high powered, high, quite a lot of. Um, uh, quite, yeah, yeah. There's quite a lot of themes running in it, isn't there? So yeah, yeah you know, yeah. You've, I think it's... You've, yeah. You've got this unknown spacecraft, which when people have discovered it, they've been destroyed by it. So how are these people going to actually get to this spacecraft and disable it enough to be able to use it? So that's one of the what? things. Do you want to start with the blurb? Because the blurb's actually pretty good. <laughs> Shall I shut up now then? <laughs> Hold on, where is it? Okay, yeah, I'll go into the blurb. Are you ready then? Right? 10,000 years ago, a single alien supership survives a desperate battle. The vessel's dying crew set the AI on automatic to defend the smashed rubble of their planet. Legend has it the faithful ship continues to patrol the empty battlefield, obeying its last order throughout the lonely centuries. In the here and now, Earth needs a miracle. Out of the beyond invade the new men, stronger, faster and smarter than the old. The superior warships and advanced technology destroy every fleet sent to stop them. Their spies have infiltrated the government and traitors plague Earth's military. Captain Maddox of the Starwatch Intelligence wonders if the ancient legend could be true. Would such an old starship be able to face the technology of the new men? On the run from killers, Maddox searches for a group of talented misfits. He seeks Keith Maker, a drunken ex-strike fighter ace, Dr. Dana Rich, the clone thief stuck on a prison planet, and Lieutenant Valerie Noonan, the only person to have faced the new men in battle and survived to tell about it. Maddox has to find a place hidden in the beyond and bring back a ship no one can enter. If he fails, the new men will replace the old. If he succeeds, humanity might just have a fighting chance. That's a pretty good blurb. Mm, it is good blurb, isn't it? <laughs> I agree with that. I think the only weakness is the term new men. Oh. I would I'd have gone with some kind of alien thing you know the scourge or something you know to kind of yeah but as you read the story i thought the same i thought new men well that's a bit weak you know Mm. there's a bit of a cop-out calling them new men but later on in the story you kind of understand why they're calling them that okay um without obviously giving too much away sure however things aren't explained straight away either because obviously there's a series of these books Mm. So, whilst it, it was a good old romp, you know, don't get me wrong, mm. it was it was fantastic. There were some really good moments in it where you're literally flicking the page as fast as you can to to see what happens. Yeah. And there are other bits that kind of like jarred me a little, such as one of the admiral is called Lord High upon Lordy Lord or something, you know. And I just thought, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, well. I get the point that they're in charge, but really call them Lord High, Lordy Lord or whatever. It's, it's, it's just a bit much. So, you know, but the point was made and, and that's okay. Mm. The idea of the prison planet that is in this and mentioned in the blurb is great. And the mm. prison planet itself and the descriptions for that and what happens there is it's really quite eye-opening. I like that. A downside, I thought, was Keith Maker who's a drunken ex-strike fighter ace. He's Scottish, and he's drunken. <laughs> I just thought, well, you know. And he says, I've given it all I can, Captain, as well. I thought that was a bit... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. He's, he's a walking, drunken cliche, yeah, is what you're trying yeah, to say. Okay. Okay. But, yeah, it was okay. It was good. It was a nice old romp. 
That's an interesting point, to be honest, because, you know, as a writer and involved in writing something at the moment, I'm currently putting something together that has a little crew of space explorers appearing on, on a planet and what have you. And they've, they're from the European Space Agency and um, they're from different nationalities. And I've got a, a French botanist and trying to write a French botanist mm without ending up do you know what i mean and, and also i've got a spanish engineer right and i'm trying very hard to sort of write them in a way that gives enough of a flavor that they are what they are but without, without being... making them yeah without making them feel like a stereotype yeah. i mean it you know arthur c clark and gentry lee did the rama series and they had with the second rama book rama 2 they had quite a, a character parade and you had a, a, a triple jumper as one of the people. She, she basically retired from being an athlete and ended up as an astronaut. And, you know, she was quite sort of different, you know, in what they were painting her as. And it is quite tricky to make that balance between creating a different character and creating a stereotype. Yeah, it is. So, I can know, imagine how hard it is. I mean, you just you, you find yourself wanting to put that little bit of flavor in, but mm -hmm. put too much of that flavor in. It's like, oh, no. Yeah, no, absolutely. Or it, particularly if you don't understand the culture that you're actually Yes, and you're just about. picking on the, the bits that you've heard about. It starts to demonstrate, you know, and you don't perhaps realise it as the writer, yeah. that you're demonstrating your own ignorance. And that's, you know, I'm not being harsh here because I've not read... Yeah. No, no, I, I think that, um, I mean, you know, the, I think every book's got a couple of things that people can say, mm. ooh, I don't like that. But overall, yeah. it was a good, it, it was, take it for what it is, it was a good little story, you know? Yeah. A, couple of bits became a little bit inexplicable uh, and I didn't particularly agree with but I mean that's that could be just me and then I read the reviews and I found it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> I did notice it's had some good reviews had a lot of reviews yes it's had tons had some good it? ones it's had some good ones and it's had some some bad ones it's had should have stayed lost <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I thought was was a catchy title you know yeah. but then again you're dealing with somebody who has you know is obviously is publishing a, a series I would assume looking at this I can't see a publisher mentioned here and you know and, and this series is you know it's reasonably priced um, and it's you know it appears to have have hit a sweet spot because he you know he's gone on and he's you know, he's put out a lot of books. So, yeah. so yeah. So, you know, fair play to him. And, and if, if it's achieving an audience in that regard, it's great. Battle, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah. You, you want to feed it. You know, that's, that's what you want to do. And he does appear to have, have fed it. And you know. you've got to bear in mind that this is obviously the first book in a series. So yeah. I think it lays a lot of little groundwork for the rest of the, mm -hmm. the stuff going on. And uh, it does that, I think. And most of the, the, the comments are around we don't get to know enough about this or we don't get to know enough about that. Well, you get to know enough about it for the story, but you don't get to the actual conclusion, which is why it's all part of the series. So, sure. Yeah. Okay. So where can we get it? You can get it on Amazon, Kindle edition, two ninety five, paperback sure. nine seventy nine, and oh, used from nine sixty four. Uh, there doesn't appear to be an audio download. Now, there's a there's an audio unabridged, yep. um, which is free with trialing Audible. So if you sign up to Audible, That's then you get uh, yeah, yeah, you get a free audio version. But um, yeah, no, it looks good. Yeah, it is. Okay, so and 390 pages too, which suggests that it's probably it's a fair chunk of reading. That would say to me, I think it's probably hundred thousand words somewhere around there. So so yeah, yeah. you know, if pages is what you. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. If, well, you measure a book in, then, you know. Well, I think yeah. if, if you judge it on a, a sort of... Did you enjoy it? Yes. Uh, would you uh, recommend it to a friend or two? Probably. Okay, so that's The Lost Starship, book one of the Lost Starship series by Vaughan Hepner. We'll head out for an advert break, and we'll be right back with my book choice. Space can be lonely, but sometimes that's just what you want. Choose your holiday, the gas giants of Alioth, partying the night away in Yorkville on Aquila, or even go back and find your ancestors on Earth. The Rockforth Corporation makes your holiday special. And will let nothing disturb you. Greetings Commanders, Second Technician Fozzer Forrester here. If you'd like to catch the crew of the Orange Sidewinder, we broadcast live every Tuesday at 8.30pm BST. Fly safe, and if you can't do that, fly dangerous. Is your life okay, and we're back. So, my book for this week. Now, I've gone back to the Clark Awards, John. Mm. I did say that, you know, eventually we would get to some more of these books that were on the nomination list. And having reviewed his short story anthology for SF Book, I've now turned to David Hutchinson's Europe in Autumn. So here's the blurb. Europe in Autumn is a thriller of espionage in the future which reads like the love child of John Le Carre and Franz Kafka. Rudy is a cook in a Krakow restaurant. When his boss asks Rudy to help his cousin escape from the country, he is trapped in a new career, part spy, part people smuggler. Following multiple economic rises and a devastating flu pandemic, Europe is fractured into countless tiny nations, duchies, polities and republics. Recruited by the shadowy organisation Le Courier de Bois, Rudy is schooled in espionage. But when a training mission to the line, a sovereign nation consisting of a trans-European railway line, goes wrong, he is arrested, beaten, and Korea Central must attempt to rescue. With so many nations to work in and identities to assume, Rudy is kept busy travelling across Europe. But when he is sent to smuggle somebody out of Berlin and finds a severed head inside a locker instead, a conspiracy begins to wind itself around him. With kidnapping, double crosses, and a map that constantly redraws, Rudy begins to realise that underneath his daily round of plot and counterplot, behind the conflicting territories, another entirely different reality might be pulling the strings. Mm, I like that love child of John Le Carre and Franz Kafka. Yeah, it, I mean, I would say by comparison of blurbs, mm. this one's quite muddled Yeah, compared to the very sharp and hit blurb that The Lost Starship has. You know, I, I'd prefer the blurb that your book choice mm. has, but, you know, you can't judge completely by the blurb. But what this does, it kind of goes, it sort of fluxes, do you know what I mean? Yep. It's going backwards and forwards as if it's trying to get towards this is the kind of book you're going to read. And then it goes back to the beginning again. And then this is the book, you know. So, so yeah, so it's a little bit weird. In terms of the book, yeah, pretty much everything that is said there is is what's in it. It reads like quite a mature science fiction novel because it's near future. So you're going to like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a dystopia that kind of has reasons for the reason it you know for how it's emerged as it has but 
also you're telling the story or the story is being told from the perspective of someone who is quite ordinary and he gradually becomes a little bit extraordinary as things go on but he's a cook you know he's a cook in a Krakow restaurant that's how it begins yeah and then you know you sort of get to know the way in which the world is changing is different and so on and so forth I all but read it as a spy novel pretty much until the last section and I read this while I was on the flight out to Bulgaria and while I was on the flight back and it was interesting to be abroad in Europe as it were, you know, slightly ironic, being outside my own country, out and, and sort of exploring Europe, mm. whilst reading European Autumn. And he certainly created a very believable, collapsed Europe that builds a little bit on what we have today, but has taken it to the dark side, to the bad side, as it were. And there's some, some lovely casting of different aspects of it too. Where you were talking a bit about problems with maybe cultures that the writer isn't fluent with. Mm. Yeah. In this, you've got an awful lot of different cultures. There's there's a section that's about people in England, but there's also the Baltic states. There's also Central Europe. There's the Czech Republic. There's different aspects of Germany because Germany's broken up into, you know, into different states. All sorts of different places. And it really hangs together very, very well. It's not the paciest book. It doesn't come across as a pacey, page-turning action thriller. But it quickens towards the end. Yeah. I'm kind of being a little bit careful about what I say about the end. Of and course. that's one of the reasons why I'm not going to read it. Because you're reading a fairly accessible sort of spy thriller. Or book about a spy, really. Less on the thriller, perhaps. Because actually, you know, a lot of the missions are... At least to start with, they're fairly nondescript to begin with, and then they get a bit more unusual and a bit more unusual. But towards the end, it really does sort of flip the table. And when it flips the table, you then start to go, wow, this is this is really interesting. He plays a, a fairly traditional fantasy card, but he plays it very well. I would say very similar to... There is a book China Mavel has written that plays a similar card, but plays it in a different way. Uh, <laughs> trying very hard mm. to make the connection there, but without revealing the book. <laughs> <laughs> so it will spoil Europe in autumn, you know. So, so yeah, so, you know, it is, it is a very, very, you know, very solid book, I would say. I'd say that about David Hutchinson's writing. I certainly found that from his short stories. He's a very, very solid writer. And with this little flip at the end that takes the plot, you know, in a different direction... It makes it certainly, you know, I was, I think I was on the flight on the way home and I couldn't put it down then. Brilliant. Yeah. For the last sort of 20%, I couldn't put it down because it was really, really good. Wow. Good. So, this, can you tell us a little bit more about, uh, I know you said the flavor of uh, Europe uh, came across well, or, or at least the characters. What about the flavor yeah. of the environment? Did that come across really well? Yeah, he takes his time. So, you know, he does describe based on locations. He gives you a fairly good sense of, you know, the different lives people live. A very European life. Some of the roles that Rudy ends up taking on. I mean, at one point he's working in a hotel and he's quite useful to the hotel staff. But the hotel job he's got is a cover so that he can intercept packages that are being sent to him. And while he's working in the hotel... 
he's living in a tiny room and he gets up and there'll be a wedding party and they'll have a bit of a brawl or you know or stuff will get smashed mm. and you know and he has to sit with the with the owner and kind of wait for the police and this that and the other but there's this second life always behind what's there which is very interesting it's very interesting in two ways it's interesting in one it's you know you're not just finding out about the life of a person who's a hotel porter and nothing's happening to them but from the second point of view you're also you're getting to see the kind of lives that a lot of people would live because this one guy has to switch between covers also the writer doesn't fall for the obvious in that some of these package drops some of these missions like i said are, are very innocuous it's sometimes it's just a person wandering up to you to give you a parcel mm. it's a woman in the laundrette who's reading a weird book and starts talking to you for a minute and then walks out and there's a lovely moment in that particular scene when he takes the stuff and he says don't you want your washing and she says it's a prop <laughs> <laughs> so they weren't her clothes yeah. you know <laughs> which is you know that sort of feels very real it does yeah know? Two spies meeting in a laundrette and just being normal. It's funny you mentioned the working in a, a restaurant and uh, or a hotel or whatever it was and living in a small room because that just brought back flashbacks to me because that's exactly what it's like when you've got living accommodation. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and and I think I mean what then happens is you know some of these things open out and you realise that this person's a spy and they're only living there as a cover and actually this person's a spy too. Oh, we didn't realise that. You know, they're only living there as a cover. You know, it's it's quite clever in the ways in which those layers emerge. And like I said, he doesn't play the obvious cards. There isn't very much of the kind of James Bond style stuff. No. If you see what I yeah. mean. You know, when, when someone says a spy thriller, you immediately go, oh, Ian Fleming. And you're thinking, oh, it's going to be, you know, lots of racing around with Walter PPKs or what have you. And it kind of isn't. It's much more interesting, much more mature mm. than that. There are moments, though, and, you know, and anybody who's going for a book looking for that kind of thing, there are moments in this where, you know, they do the kind of special forces stuff uh, and what have you. But it isn't how you expect it. It's much more nuanced in that regard. There's also there's a moment where they cross the border into Scotland. These two men are fleeing some authorities and they have to get into Scotland to fly out because Scotland is independent of England. So you can fly back into the rest of Europe from Scotland. But if they tried from an English airport, it wouldn't have worked. All right. So they crossed the Scottish border. And the way in which they crossed the Scottish border, it's all very rural and very British. Yeah. Which is really funny. And it didn't come across as stereotypical. It came across as quite endearing. <laughs> and then these two guys drive away and, and one of them says, we need to get a move on because so-and-so was, was obviously English intelligence. And the other one says... No, she wasn't. The two people running the farmhouse, they were English intelligence. It's like, really? This old woman who made the bacon? <laughs> that kind of thing. It, you know, it really feels really feels real yeah. rather than spies having to be, I don't know, late 20-somethings, 30-somethings in a smart suit. Yeah. So, yeah, so I really enjoyed it. Excellent. So where can you get it? Well, we can get it all over. So there's <laughs> there's loads of places you can pick up Europe in autumn. The Amazon listing is three ninety nine for the Kindle edition, six sixty nine for paperback, and there are some used and new options. So you've got used at four sixty, actually some new options from two pounds seventy eight. So that's a physical copy of the book at two pounds seventy eight. It's published by Solaris, who are another one of these independent presses. They've got a really good reputation. Solaris have been around for a number of years. 
Ian Waits, who we've talked about before, friend of the show, author of Pelkin's Comet, has edited the Solaris science fiction anthologies before now. So they're certainly known for good quality stuff. And Europe in Autumn is no exception. It is a very good quality book. Brilliant. Okay, so that's it for another episode of Data Slate. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, then you can email info Facebook slash Lave Radio, at Lave Radio on Twitter, or you can join the Skype chat channel by adding Fozza101 to your Skype contacts. You can also join our TeamSpeak server, where commanders and players of Elite Dangerous come to hang out and chat at laveradio.teamspeak3.com. Time for engineering to boost the warp drive to max, so we can boldly run away. Until next time, commanders. Bye.